Welcome to the Masculinity Podcast, conversations about masculinity, men, and our relationships with them. My name's Mel, and I invite you to pop the kettle on, make a mug of your hot beverage of choice, and join us for a relaxed and open conversation. Welcome back to the Masculinity Podcast. I'm very excited today to have two wonderful men that I have known for a few years now, James and Devin. And this is the first time that they're meeting here on the podcast, although we've shared a few messages together. Uh, So James uh, lives in Vancouver. James helps people get unstuck in their lives using a combination of coaching, deep breathing, and body work. And he's also been involved in men's work as a member of the Samurai Brotherhood for the last two years. James and I met through a community vulnerability practice called the Zeg Forum. And I see him as a a powerful healer and, and very insightful human being. And then Devin, who I met through the Zeg Forum community down in Seattle, uh, Devin is a personal growth and purpose coach who helps clients discover and pursue the work and lives closest to their hearts. In the last few years, he's immersed himself in coaching, orgasmic meditation, sacred sexuality, and communal living, and doing a lot of work around feelings. And he brings all of that to bear in the one-on-one coaching that he does. He also co-hosts an online sexuality group for men who are looking to release sexual shame and come into deeper contact with their own authentic desires. And I've always been really touched by Devin's ability to step into that very scary space of vulnerability and, and own the fear that's inherent in there and just roll with it. So I'm really excited to have both of you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Mel. Yeah, thanks for having us. Both of you have been involved in um, coaching work and, and men's work and healing work. And I'm really curious. There's this growing thing of men's rights movements and other kinds of men's movements that are looking at healthy expressions of masculinity. I'm wondering if you could each share a little bit of what your journey with that has been like. As far as myself, I found that a lot of men are very fearful of their emotions and have not had very many healthy ways of expressing them. So for me, I really didn't trust men. I didn't trust well, men specifically, but I, I kept people at arm's length due to the traumas and things that I hadn't dealt with. Forum, uh, when I got involved in that, was a really good way to start uh, expressing that and looking at it in a very safe way. And men's work, men's work is a bit more, from my experience, in your face when it's done well. And it's really opened me up to being able to trust other men, uh, to be able to dive into my emotions and uh, explore in a way that's uh, both supportive and uh, will call me on my BS or when I'm not in alignment. I like that. The call me on my BS when I'm not in alignment sounds very familiar. (laughs) I came to men's work through the world of, let's see, I started by doing, um, participating in orgasmic meditation, which is really, it's not quite men's work at all. It's really I guess you'd call it masculine and feminine work, but that was sort of my introduction to the world of, of polarity. And after spending a few years in that, I realized that there was so much, there was so much, uh, 
gosh, just as a man, I think all people nowadays like carry so much conditioning and so much um, shame around feeling and, and so much, so much unresolved shadowy stuff. I've participated in lots of different men's work over the years. And most recently, I, I just continue with more, more of like a private group of tight-knit male friends, which is something I never really thought I'd have. And we, we love the hell out of each other and also call each other on our bullshit and all that fun stuff. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I would recommend to any man getting into uh, men's work is to explore different options. Um, there can be a big negative side of we hate women or we're angry or it's not fair to us. And I've seen that in, in certain groups. And the right men's group is going to have a good combination of compassion as well as going into your shadow work. I also, while I'm doing that, I find it's almost too masculine and I'll balance that out with taking some Tantra courses or workshops on the side to get a, a good balance of the masculine and feminine. I think I, I've told this story to my men's group, but when I got into men's work, I don't even know why I got into it. Our forum group had kind of uh, dissolved at the time. Um, I'd been in a serious car accident and I had a really bad concussion. So I don't know how I got into men's work other than seeing a Facebook post. But it didn't click for me how impactful it was till six months later when one of the men was, they were giving a hard time. They're like, you know, you're soft, you, um, you need to get on top of things, you need to get in your masculine, you need to work out, you need to, you know, be true to your word, get in there, push harder, you know, we're really giving them the gears. And then I turned around, I'm like, yeah, me too. And the guys looked at me and they're like, um, No you're hurt. You're seriously hurt. You need to be in your feminine. You need to heal. We, you know, you need to have compassion with yourself. So I knew I was in the right group at that time. And I really think that taking your time to explore a couple of different groups, but also go into the uncomfortable, what's going to come up uh, is really key. Figuring out what works for you and is going to be safe to explore all those emotions. I love what you said about being okay with what's uncomfortable. I was talking to a friend recently about how much we have been conditioned to be in a space of comfort all the time and to avoid things that are uncomfortable. And I, I think that's one thing that forum really helped me with is that resiliency to mm. step into a space of, oh shit, I'm sharing some really scary things and that feels uncomfortable but it's actually really good that I'm doing this in this space. And what you're describing there, James, that process, it sounds really important. And and what you going back to what you said right at the beginning about growing up and keeping men at a distance, having difficulty trusting other men. Like that's something that for myself, someone who's grown up being socialized as as female, not really understanding what's going on in for men's experience of the world, that realizing that so many men have experienced that was a revelation for me that there's this distrust between men and i'm really curious about like what is that why does that happen and and how do you begin to work to overcome that because i can see the fear that happens for people about and, and what ha well, that happens for men about trying to step into a space of trust and, and is it really a safe space for them to, to be vulnerable or are they just letting their, their weak spots show and is that going to open them up for an attack? Well, the first 
Uh, first off, I, in my practice, I try to do that with my clients. I try to create a very safe space for them to be uncomfortable and allow themselves to be uncomfortable and move through those things. And I think that's really key, uh, whether you know it's forum or, or men's work, is to, and, and I think it's really important uh, in men's work to commit. Like, I, I don't think it should be a wishy-washy drop-in thing. Uh, I really believe that a weekly commitment to meet up with these guys so that you can get over that, you know, build trust, you can um, bond and, you know, slowly open up and feel comfortable. It actually took me about a year and a half for that to happen for me in the men's work. And a little bit about my history with men. I had been bullied when I was in my early teens. I was even surrounded in Edmonton by about 30 people. And, you know, one guy was trying to beat me up. You know, my trust for men was really low. And the three men I trusted the most when I was 17 actually um, jumped me, tried to beat me up and stole $2,000 from me. So my mistrust of men was um, very deep. So it takes that, as I said, it took me a year and a half before I'm like, I think I'm going to, what I wanted to say was, I'm going to take a break from men's work for a few months. And what came out was, you know, these things happened to me. I don't know how to be a friend to men. I don't know how to open up. Uh, I want to do better. Can you guys give me some some energy on mm. how to do that and how I'm doing with it? Yeah, I think that weekly commitment for a, an extended period of time to build that trust and to to you know, start leaning into the men is really important in the work. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that, James. That is a really challenging experience to go through when people that we've trusted have broken that trust. Mm. Yeah. We've touched a little bit on forum, but I realize we haven't actually defined or described what forum is. Um, so I'm wondering if, if both of you might like to give uh, your experience of what forum is or your description of it? Uh, I, I would be happy to. Uh, it's funny, I was just talking about forum with some friends last night and I came to realize how fuzzy my own uh, understanding of the history of forum is. But from what I know, it began in a, a community in Germany, uh, which at some point became known as the ZEG community, uh, which is an acronym for uh, some German acronym for, I believe, the, the Center for Cultural Research or something like that, but a community where they were and still are exploring the nuances of sex positivity, of emotional work, of healing the earth, of all this stuff. And I think the, the story goes something like it. at one point the community was living in the Black Forest and they were living in this mansion and no one was coming out of their rooms. All the doors were closed. Everybody hated each other. And they were like, okay, this this can't possibly go on. So from what I understand, they, they started playing with different communal processes for creating transparency. And and then that, you know, that moved to Tamara in Portugal. Zeg is still around, but I, I guess both of them have forums still. And then I'm not sure when it migrated to the United States, but I believe it was um, for kind of the new culture camps that started up. And at least the lineage that I come from forum-wise uh, is is here in Seattle um, in the star community. And so like, yeah, I guess, I guess to describe the actual, like what it looks like um, for people who haven't done it, picturing a, a group, a 
a circle of people uh, that you might call the container. And there are three people um, typically sitting in one part of the circle called facilitators. And then participants in the circle can stand up and do walk around and do a share and, or, or a perform. I think I've heard it called a performance as well. Um, and the facilitators will facilitate them to help them uh, work through something or help them be more transparent about what's going on with them. Yeah, I remember when I first encountered Forum, I have a very crazy story that maybe isn't worth telling right now about my first Forum experience, but I do remember walking out and having this feeling of like, what the hell was that? Like, uh, I, I, I think it had been years since I had felt a real emotion. <laughs> and so being in this space of such like people feeling so intensely, I, my, my nervous system was totally rattled. And as I was walking away, I was like, gosh, this, this, this hour and a half or whatever has been like as productive as like the last three years of therapy I've, I've done in terms of like waking me up and it, was totally free and so anyway that that was sort of my introduction to uh forum that's quite the introduction <laughs> it it was quite the intro yeah i uh <laughs> i remember like at the time still still like being so kind of in the thrall of having parents uh and and making sure their approval was like really on. And I remember calling them and telling them like, "Hey, I just went to this thing called Forum. I don't know what the hell happened." And they were like, "Jesus, Devin, what are you doing with yourself out there?" <laughs> oh, yeah, fun. Yeah, I think the Vancouver Forum came up in a slightly different way. It was you know almost like a community building tool, which is the opposite of what I've heard uh, other forums are they're about having a community and ways of communicating. What I really love about forum and, and to put context to it, you'll do a performance and you might be uh, one of the, the facilitators might give you some provocation to dive a little deeper into emotionally what's going on, which is telling a story of what's happening for you. And then people will um, the, the group is then open to mirroring what they saw. And I think a lot of the time in our lives, we only see one, like our own point of view and maybe a couple of friends. And when our friends are talking to us, they're not always, they're, it's, they're talking to us through a filter based on how they know us. Whereas when you are open up to mirrors from a bunch of people that you may or may not know that well, and they're mirroring back what they heard, it gives you insight on how you're presenting yourself, but also how other people are seeing you. So you're getting multiple perspectives. And sometimes the, the, what'll happen is you'll think you're trying to say something in a certain way and everyone's misinterpreting, misinterpreting you. And <laughs> maybe it's, you know, you're not getting your story straight or maybe you're confused or, you know, it gives you a little bit of insight on how you are sharing what's going on for you in the world. Yeah, I, I think that's really missed in society, you know, whether it's Facebook filters or YouTube or social media, we can limit ourselves to only seeing one point of view and be having ourselves seen in one way or seeing only certain amount, like, types of information. And when you have a group of people looking at you unfiltered, 
and mirroring back what they saw, whether it's uh, directly, I heard this person say this, this, and this, or somebody just going up in the middle of the room and screaming because that was the underlying feeling of what they thought was going on, or you know any other interpretation of what you saw, you get you know an unfiltered version of to reflect on so that you might get some insight. And I love the um, you know the Vancouver Forum had a I think it was a forty eight hour rule where you can't discuss with that person that did a performance what um, what they performed. And when you do, and if you do want to approach them, you have to ask, can I, are you open to some feedback or something? Um, and that gives you time to really reflect on your own about what you presented and what you, the feedback that you got. Um, the last little piece I like about that is it, it's also not therapy. If there is a deeper lying issue you know, the group thinks it's too big therapy or something outside of the group uh, in our set, in our instance could be maybe recommended or, you know, it's, it's not meant to go into really deep, deep, deep stuff that you might need a little bit more help with. Yeah. I would say it's not therapy, but it can be very deeply therapeutic. Oh yeah, definitely. As both of you were talking, I was remembering times when I've been in forum with each of you and yeah, thinking about that, that space of vulnerability and intimacy. There's something about when one person gets up to share, it feels like it gives more permission for other people to get up and share. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things that happened in our Vancouver forum was as things shifted and changed, that group of people ended up being mostly male identifying or non-binary identifying humans. And uh, it was very, it was a very interesting dynamic. There was one evening in particular, I remember, and I think there was maybe like six men and the the other two of us are people who would identify as gender fluid, but have female bodies. Mm. And it was really powerful, some of the stuff that came up that night. And obviously I can't talk about specifics, but I remember that just being aware of the kind of gendered dynamics and I've certainly experienced that often as human beings, we have a tendency to want to fix things. And there's a gender dynamic that evolves between or that comes up between men and women where men want to fix women's problems, mm. that there's something that society has told us that, you know, you're more manly if you can fix a woman's problems for her, perhaps. I'd like to interject there. because I really don't think that's what it is at the root of it. Okay. The root of it is men are so used to not being able to express their emotions or not having an outlet or, uh-huh. or, or seeing how other people are. So when they see something, they have an emotional reaction to it. They don't like that feeling and they just want to go, no, you need to fix this. Here's some advice. Go fix this so I don't have to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly where I was going. Sorry. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, it's it's exactly. It's um, the space of you can't give that advice to try and fix it makes you sit with the reaction that you have. And lets you get more comfortable with it and lets you accept it. And I think that there's something empowering for everybody involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the, the, you know, you're not allowed to give advice. And it's just a reflection because it also is very empowering for the person that shared. Because you then have to take responsibility for what you just shared and look deeper and and 
you know, decide whether or not you're going to do something about it or take that reflection, which is, you know, when we take advice, then we can all of a sudden go, oh, it's if it doesn't work out, it's their fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about in terms of emotional literacy. I love this term, this idea that we can be literate in our emotions, knowing our own feelings uh, and self through those feelings. Devin, you mentioned how your first experience of forum was the first time you'd had a, you'd felt an emotion in years. And I'm curious, like that, that practice of, even if you're not the person who's sharing, just being in a space where other people are sharing and being vulnerable, what is the power for people to develop that emotional literacy? For men who have been uh, shunned and shamed from feeling their emotions and and have not developed that emotional literacy, what what's the pathway for them? How do you start to get in touch with that? And and what can you expect to find as you start to get in touch with emotions? Yeah, these are some really, really important questions. I just thinking about my own journey, uh, I think where I started to, to sort of, let me see, one second, let me think about this for a moment. So forum for me was, I, I think it, I overstated saying I hadn't felt an emotion in a long time, but I think I had not felt what my my own nervous system and body was capable of feeling in terms of having, uh, having my cells charged with energy, having feeling like a sort of activation in my body. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, that wasn't like a, a, a trauma response. It was, it was simply having different people's feelings pass through me. There was something about that that um, woke me up in a way that I hadn't uh, felt awake in a very, very long time. And I think that is very typical. I think I think there are a couple of things that we do as a culture that, that support what I would call numbness. And one of them is <laughs> one of them is simply the answer to how the, the, the question of how are you doing and that the the very conditioned response is something like good or fine or um, things are going well or maybe you won't even answer the question how are you doing I had a great weekend like like which isn't even how you're doing it's like what hap- what's happening in your world um, so so at a at a linguistic level we have very poor access uh, we have we have very little training about how to actually talk about what's going on in us and. In, in some ways, language defines, can define our reality. So if we say we're fine, if we say we're good, then we actually can come to believe that we're fine and good when who knows what's happening under the surface. The other, the other problem is that when we actually do have a feeling, feelings are so medicalized in our, in our culture. There's a, uh, it's like if you're feeling sad, like like you were just talking about this fix it thing, um, where we where we need to fix things. And actually, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'm saying something. So, um, th- this 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 thing of of sadness or anger or fear or even joy being medicalized in some way. Like if you're too happy, then maybe you aren't seeing things correctly in the world. Maybe you aren't really seeing how bad mm-hmm. things are. If you're if you're too sad, you need to get get medicated or um or you do have to go to therapy and so so like there's there's this stigma around feelings in general that i think it's much safer to be numb or to not talk about feelings 
than to actually feel them. And that equates to eventually just becoming unconscious of whatever feelings are happening. And I think for me, the the path, if I were to prescribe one in terms of how to <laughs> how to feel, like there are there are lots of formal directions you can go, but but just the the act of going somewhere where people are talking about things that are more than surface level um, like uh, these things can be like a like 12 step or, or or you know 12 step meetings which is something i've participated in they can be like therapy is great they can be um going to meet up and skipping all the meetups that say happy hour every single one of those just crosses <laughs> off your list because none of those none of those but but looking for the ones that are like authentic relating or mankind project or or whatever um simply setting it i mean first you have to believe that you you have some numbness you don't have access to feelings and so you maybe you desire to feel so that's that's step one and step two is there these things are out there these places you can go are absolutely out there and it takes a little bit of looking but to but to really make a decision to bypass all the things that look attractive but are probably just fluffy and really go for the places where it's like people are talking uh, are going there to talk about what's happening inside yeah there's um four levels of learning or mastery uh unconscious incompetence conscious incompetence conscious competence and then unconscious uh, competence and a lot of us, when it comes to emotions, have, you know, we're basically unconsciously incompetent at showing our emotions. And the only way to get better at, you know, moving through it is to actually practice and find safe um, places where you can practice being bad at expressing your emotions. Uh, I've seen it in relationships where um, a woman will be like, oh, you know, share your emotions. And the, the man will try to share it with their limited vocabulary of emotions. And I've actually heard of men hearing from the women, well, not like that. Oh, no. And that's not necessarily a safe container, right? So finding places, and I'm not saying that that's a typical dynamic, but um, I've heard it enough times that finding different places where you can stretch that emotional vocabulary and not necessarily be good at it. Maybe finding lists of words to describe different emotions. That can be really key. And I've also, I mean, I have male and female clients and a lot of women can't get it. Like they'll also intellectualize their emotions, mm -hmm. right? They're not actually maybe feeling it. I, so I don't think it's a strictly man or woman issue, but finding a larger vocabulary of ways to express the different things that you're feeling and then practicing those words and connecting to mm. it. I read uh, um, something or, or saw a post recently from a friend and what he recommends is writing down the story of, you know, a certain thing that's happened to you that might be emotionally difficult and then going and telling yourself the story a few times, going through it, see if the emotions can come up, and then give yourself time and space to mourn. And if you're not used to maybe connecting to your own stuff and, and crying, or right, then you might um, uh, go and 
maybe show some video clips or some music that gets some emotions flowing. And then just give yourself time to actually feel whatever comes up and move through it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I really think, well, I feel that however you do this, you have to find a safe container to be maybe bad at expressing your emotions um, so that you can continue to practice it until it becomes more and more fluid. Cause that's what it comes down to is practicing uh, being vulnerable and practicing talking about how that feels. Some really beautiful points in there. When you're talking about a safe place to practice sharing your emotions and feeling those emotions, I was thinking back to what Devin said about having those emotions pass through you um, just through being in a space where other people are sharing them. And Mm -hmm. it made me think of the experience we can have when we are watching a really powerful movie or a piece of theater Mm -hmm. and we get really into the story and we feel those emotions as we're watching it. Like there's a level of safety because it's not our experience that we're around. It's not, Mm -hmm someone who is close to us that we um you know feel like we need to be involved in their experience we're we're in a safe distance from this emotional story that's happening but one thing that i'm curious about is i mean i i know from my own experience of doing uh what we call shadow work you know when you start to connect mm-hmm. in with stuff that you didn't realize you didn't know it can be overwhelming. And I, I've, I've definitely noticed in forum for men in particular, it's like you pull off the lid of this Pandora's box of emotions. And I've seen some people very quickly shut that lid because there's too much in there to process all in one go. It can feel overwhelming. And, and, you know, I look at my own knowledge of somatics and, and like how much, like an experience that is overwhelming, if you lose the ability to cope with what's being handed to you, can be in itself traumatizing. So how do you, like, what happens with that? Is it overwhelming? Do you just like navigate through that overwhelm? How do you support yourself? How do you, what, what do you do with that? Mm. Yeah, I, I was, I was actually, uh, I, I love that you're talking about this. It's, I think for me, it's something that's kind of easy to overlook um, simply because it's something that happens, at least for me, truly at the beginning of my journey for a period. But I, my own experience was that uh, I hadn't, I hadn't felt in so long. And a lot of the feelings were, a lot of the emotions inside me were incredibly backed up. Uh, Big, like big anger, big sadness, this stuff that, um, I just, I simply had not felt in years and years and years. And I think that is fairly common. So like you said, once the, when the, when the lid pops off, there, there came a point for me where it was like, okay, I can like open the lid just a little bit. I can open the lid a little bit. And then, and then it was like the lid just got blown off. And both, both my, both the fact that I was feeling a lot of stuff that I hadn't felt in a while, which is intense, really intense. And the fact that we do have this culture that says there's something really wrong with feelings. I mean, there are many ways to think about feelings and the way we typically think about them is there's something wrong. Uh, there, it's, it's like a medical issue, which I think is true in some cases, but generally not. 
And so there's this feeling of, oh my God, what did I, this was how it was for me. Oh my God, what did I do? There's something wrong. And the, the best, the, the best thing for me was community, uh, and, and con- continues to be community. Uh, but, but having, having these like people who have been through it and know, know that it's a normal part of the process, this sort of unwinding spiral um, and can like like for me to be able to be freaking out or something and have someone standing in front of me saying like this is this is so good this is so perfect you're going through exactly what you need to be going through I love you how can I help you I, I mean I can't I can't overemphasize the importance of community at least for me in this work for for that reason and like the normalization of feelings opens up so many other possibilities for what for what feelings have incredible utility uh being able to feel like like in my world you don't just feel because okay i have this repressed stuff and it's good to feel like starting to feel like you can you can use your anger you can direct your anger to to set boundaries to stand up for justice to hold yourself back you can use your sadness to to deeply deeply connect with someone to to open up your empathy in ways that simply aren't possible when you can't feel like like um like feelings are to me one of the greatest gifts that we have as human beings uh, they, they are the house of intuition and to not have access to them is to be so limited in our humanity yeah that's a that's a really big point i've been really diving into my emotions and doing a lot more exploration the last little while and at one point I actually asked myself, when's the last time I actually felt joy and happiness? Because I had felt so much pain and anger for so long and I'd been trying to repress it that when you repress one emotion, you repress them all. So as I've been able to explore that anger a little bit more, go into it, let a lot of it go um, through different exercises, all of a sudden, I find myself laughing like a full belly laugh. Uh, I find myself, you know, it, it, with bigger, happier emotions that I didn't have access to for so long because I'd been repressing one of those, uh, you know, the other emotions. And one of the big keys that I found, and I talk to my clients about this all the time, is reframing what emotions are. A lot of people see emotions as bad things. I actually see the emotion itself as neutral. Anger is neutral. It's telling you something's out of alignment. What you do with it, whether it's punching someone in the nose, yelling at them, uh, repressing it can be negative, and going up and saying, hey, when you do this, it makes me feel like that, and I don't like that relationship. So mm. how can we have a different relationship, right? Problem is, if you repress it long enough, when you go to have that conversation, you're just going to yell at the person. It's going to come out way bigger because it's not just that one thing you're talking about. It's all the repressed anger. And to help with that, whether it's a men's group with, with, you know, 20 guys that can hold space for you screaming. And um, we actually do a couple exercises like, you know, saying uh, fuck you to one another back and forth and just getting some aggression out and having a group of men that can hold that space without being too afraid of it because there's a lot of you can be one good way to start diving into it. And the other thing I recommend to people is having a list of 10 people or more, a sense of community 
um, that if you're having a hard time, you can go down that list and say, hey, do you have a bit of time? I'm having a hard time. And if you get a no, it's not that big a deal. Um, you go down to the next person on the list and then you say, hey, I'm having a hard time until you find someone that has the time and the space for it. And I recommend when you do that, start off with things that have small stakes. So if you get a no, it's not that big a deal. So that when a big thing comes up, you're just so used to getting a few no's before someone has you know, the, the capacity mm -hmm. to be able to hold that space for you. That's beautiful. That image of... 20 men in a room screaming fuck you at each other it sounds kind of exhilarating hmm. i don't know if that's just me well it's exhilarating but it also if you did that with a group of men and women i find a lot like there's so much aggression in men sometimes and it's so repressive when it comes out it can be too big so having a bunch of men being able to hold like hold that without worrying about hurting somebody's feelings can be really empowering for men because a lot of the time we're holding stuff back because we see the reaction, like especially if you're a compassionate person like myself, you see the reaction when you're that angry on the women and sometimes the men around you. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's bad. It's conditioning you that, oh, showing my emotions is too difficult. So going to a space where you can practice that and, and really get big about it so that when it, when you go for something that, oh, I actually have an actual attachment to it, then it doesn't come out as, as big or as scary. Uh, it's not as intimidating. I love what both of you are bringing into this about the importance of having that community of support and, and whether that's a pre-existing physical community of intentional living or um, men's group or a list of people that you know you can mm -hmm. phone a friend. I think, I think that's super, super valuable. And I can definitely see people uh, struggle with finding that kind of community, but it sounds like that you just have to stick with it and be patient and, and take one step at a time. I'm wondering though, because we haven't really touched on this, we're talking about getting in touch with our emotions, our feelings of being vulnerable. And I, you know, this question comes up for me of, is it worth it? Like it's a lot of work. And if you're in an intimate relationship it's going to bring up a lot of things between oneself and one's partner. And, it, you know, are, are the net benefits worth all the, the journey and the risk and the messiness? And, and does this work actually improve your intimate relationships? Yeah, I, I, I can give a resounding affirmative in terms of does it improve relationships and, and it's so easy to say, yes, of course it does. But to, but to articulate why is like a little bit perhaps more challenging. But I, I think, oh, gosh, I think for me, many of my relationships prior to getting into this type of work, there was there was some there were there were so many layers of connection that were just mm. simply absent from my relationships. It'd be, it'd be like, uh, you know, you court someone, you kind of like, there's this thing called liking someone and you like them and then you start dating and then you, you have, you have sex and sometimes the sex is like really fun at first, um, but then it might, it might change over time. And so it changes. And then if you have not talked about feelings ever or play with your feelings ever, or 
ever learned how to have a difficult conversation, then the sex changes and you never talk about it changing. You never talk about what's going on at a deeper level. So there's like this dead bedroom thing on the one hand. And even even beyond that, it's like, for me, relationship, like to to know and be known is, is a huge part of relationship for me. And there are such limits to my ability to know another person if I don't know myself. And, and likewise, there's such limits on my ability to allow someone to know me if I don't know myself. And, and so uh, I think my, my most recent relationship, and I would say really all my, all my relationships nowadays have, have at some foundation this idea of practice uh, that, that we are, and, and sometimes this is more overt, more explicit, like, um, yes, we are, we are currently in a space of, uh, like like a friend of mine, fellow coach, we we will go into spaces of practice where we every day meet for 15 minutes and and one person will be coaching, the other person will be coached and we'll give feedback and play in that way. Um, we'll do, in our house, we did a recent house-wide space of practice called the masculine serving the feminine. But basically where it was a very intense experience where uh, men were paired up with women and uh, basically, women's only responsibility was to say, I want X. And men's responsibility was to say uh, either no <laughs> or to say yes and to figure out how to make it happen. And we did that for a month. But so there, there's, there are, I think not everyone finds that level of intentionality necessary. And I don't think it is necessary for going deep and really connecting with people. But I think without knowing who you are, at an emotional level, there will always be limits on how well you can be known and how well you can know another. And for me, it's like why I find that to be sort of the the reason for relationship. At least one of them is is this. Uh, I'm not sure how to articulate, it, but but knowing and being known mm. is perhaps the best way I can say it. And I, I want to throw in a slightly, yeah, I'm just going to throw in another question here because. I see a lot of like men's pickup artistry stuff being people's avenues into men's movements. And that's all based around like, come, you know, get, get laid easier or like have better sex. And so doing this work, is the sex better? Uh, Versus, versus pickup artistry or just versus. Or versus not doing this. Oh, uh, oh my God. Like, like so much better. It's (laughs) (laughs) so, um, yes. So, my I, okay, I remember one of my first experience. My one of my first sexual experiences after getting into this work was like the first time. It was it was the most like exhilarating, intense. Like, and I was still like I was still broken in so many ways. So it it, it just and I I mean that word very lightly, not not sincerely. But there was so much stuff at that point that I still had going on in my system unresolved. And yet this was the first time I had experienced being with someone and not feeling shame, uh, deep, deep shame around sexuality. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good place to take a breath. You're right. Like that was, that was mind, utterly mind blowing. So in that way, there's, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly a promise of having things relieved that I had no idea were even pressing on me. And sort of beyond that in the world of sexuality 
wow, like to be able, like, like we never even talk about, like maybe we talk a little bit about our sex, but to, but to like have sex and then afterwards be able to say like, what was that like for you? How was that experience for you? What, what was your highlight moment of that experience? Was there a moment when you felt more in your body or less in your body? Was, was there a moment where you felt disconnected from me? Like, holy moly, to have those conversations, like, for me, those have amped up my ability to experience and be experienced so many fold. Also, I, 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 the pickup world is, I, I love it and hate it in different ways. And we can talk about it some other time, but, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought it in. It's a funny, funny world. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually in a really interesting space with sex and relationships. And what I've come to realize is there were so many expectations on me and what I thought women wanted. And there were a whole bunch of blocks uh, as far as connecting for me. And I felt like I was expected to perform a certain way, expected to put out. If I didn't come on to a woman soon enough, then, you know, there was either something wrong with her or something wrong with me. And none of that was talked about. It's just, oh, okay, I guess this is the way it's supposed to go. And when I explored a little deeper into my sexuality, got a little bit into Tantra, I realized that I was such a giver. It was about performing and I didn't know what my needs even were. I was expected to hopefully get the woman off and then have an orgasm. Uh, and when I started to explore deeper, I'm like, oh, I don't always want to ejaculate because it just makes me tired. And all of a sudden women were like, but then I am not good enough. I haven't done this thing for you. You're not satisfied. And if I didn't have the emotional capacity to talk about those uncomfortable things, then, and I've done that where I, I just, okay, I guess, well, she needs this, so I'll do it at my cost, cost to me. The more emotionally available I've become, the easier it is for me to talk about the whole breadth, whether it's sex or my emotions mm -hmm. or where I'm at, instead of just putting on that, I'm going to go perform in bad hat. And it opens up so much more for communication, for better sex to be like, well, what do you need in this moment? Or one of the really interesting things would come up is, well, if sex isn't over when somebody ejaculates, hmm. the man ejaculates, then when is it over? How does it transition? What's all this? So it, it adds a whole different flow to what sex can be about, about what connection can be about, about, you know, it's a lot more scary, especially in the beginning to be able to talk about those things, but the connection becomes deeper. And I've run into this with a number of um, female clients where they're, they're, they're at a point where they're, the man hasn't opened up and they're looking to uh, break up with them but they're looking for the courage to do it because if I break up with him then she'll probably or he'll probably break I don't know if he'll be able to handle this because he doesn't deal with his emotions oh man I've been there so then they're in a situation where they don't want to be in it but they want their man to open up but they're not able to open up and then they're afraid to break it off because this the the fragility of the perceived fragility of the man because he can't deal with his emotions gets us into 
you know, men are, I think it's four times more likely to commit suicide than a woman in North America. Yeah. And, and a lot of this has to do with, you know, our emotions. So at the end of the day, to, to answer your question, the deeper you can get into expressing all of your emotions, connecting to your partner, connecting to you know, maybe what your desires are in sex. Maybe when you explore it, you want more than just to get off. Maybe you're able to ask for things or, you know, find out different things that you like or, you know, uh, and the more you can emotionally be vulnerable at that. I tell you, the first time I had a full body orgasm that was not about ejaculating, but about like all the emotion welling up inside of me and connecting with my eyes to this, you know, woman in front of me, it was so much more powerful than any, you know, it was like a two minute orgasm. So if you're just going on, on, on sex alone, having a two-minute full-body orgasm is pretty spectacular. Uh, add into that, you know, talking about it later and, um, you know, the connection I had with that woman. When you do the work, the payoff is incredible. Um, but it does take work and it puts you in a spot where you may get hurt. That's the risk, mm-hmm. right? You might get emotionally hurt. Yeah. It sounds like the, the risk payoff is worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When it all clicks, it's um, it can be absolutely amazing. Thanks for mentioning that piece about the the sort of scripting for performative sex that we have in our society. And I think that happens for for all genders, this idea that sex has to look a certain way or has to include certain activities or actions and mm-hmm. I think one of the most powerful sexual connections I've ever had is with someone who's done a, a man who's done a lot of this work. And, and uh, in, in that connection, it wasn't so much about like, we want to do these things like X, Y, and Z. It was more about how do you want to be feeling mm. on, you know, in this experience. And then from knowing how we wanted to be feeling, working out, well, what, what brings us to that feeling? What brings us into that experience together? And I, that for me was a really profound way. And I think for him as well, although I can't really speak for him, uh, was a profound way to step out of the performative ideas of sexuality that we knew we were, we would just sort of default into playing out. And, uh, and certainly, yeah, what you're talking about, like the ability to be able to, to talk about it afterwards and, and decompress and process and, and then continue to share emotionally. Like I've definitely had the experience of, having very beautiful sex with someone and then they shut down emotionally afterwards. Mm. It's like, I can open this door for my emotions for this experience and then we shut it tight. Mm. Well, there's a big piece of that in social media. We consume things in bite-sized portions and then move on. Mm. So, uh, you know, you're almost getting to a point where you're crying and this thing's moved you. And then the next video clip comes up and you're laughing. Mm-hmm. And we don't take the time to sit in those uncomfortable, you know, feelings or those happy feelings. We just move on. And then you add in um, the consumption of porn and it's like, oh, that's over and moving on. Or, you know, there's no, it's conditioning us to a certain way of uh, having sex and, and connecting and it, I think it becomes ingrained in us that, oh, now, you know, oh, that's finished now. Let's move on. 
Uh, and I think it's really unhealthy. One of the things that almost every men's group that I've heard of does is something called uh, knock nom. And you'll go, um, you know, whether it's 30 days or whatever it is, and it's um, no porn, no masturbation. Wow. And when you, for me, on top of that, when you reintroduce masturbation, it would be about loving yourself. It's not about watching porn. It would be about connecting to your body and seeing how it feels. And if you're going to get off, do it with really connecting to the sensations in your body versus a visual stimulation of some pornographic act. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of going and even visualizing this woman or that, it's about really connecting to your body and the sensations in it. And I'd recommend that for, for, you know, all men take that month off and then see if you can get really in touch with your body because the it can be really overwhelming and lovely when you're able to do that in a meaningful way. I think about one partner that I had who would cry every time he orgasmed, every time he orgasmed or ejaculated. And and there was definitely some shame for him around that. And I mean, I I'm gathering that other female partners he had 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 a difficult time trying to understand what was going on like why is this man crying in this moment this doesn't seem to compute but I was I immediately recognized like even if I don't understand this this is something that's important to let happen and I've wondered like how many other men experience some kind of surge of emotion in that that peak state and maybe they don't feel permission to let it out Maybe they shut it down. I mean, for me, when when I orgasm, I laugh, which tends to throw people off. Um, they're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but um, there, there's something about that that moment of orgasm that allows us, I think, to get in touch with the deeper things in us that are seeking expression. And you know, there's so much sex and sexuality and sensuality that happens in the world that doesn't have emotional connection to it you were talking about the porn you know like oh it's just this porn star again now they're playing this role like there's there's no emotional context between these people on there and i think that's why you know now there's like game of thrones porn because we have emotional context for who's in game of thrones but yeah the the emotional connection that can exist within a space of sensuality, I think is so important and perhaps more important than like all the other aspects of the sex. I don't know, maybe not, but it seems to me to be a vital component of a healthy uh, sexual erotic self-expression. Well, I think this opens up such a huge possible conversation from sexual shame to, you know, how religion can impact your view about even having sex to just being emotionally vulnerable and not having a way to express it. And it comes out in that, you know, peak climax. Yeah, there's just so many different levels to that. In, in Tantra work, the, uh, there's a lot of work around, um, you know, sexual shame and letting that go, whether it's a the shame of cr- about crying after sex or the shame that's creating that crying after sex. You know, until you really start doing the exploration of your emotions, you might not even know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we as we talk about this and just talk about 
men doing emotional work and me thinking about the kind of work I've done, uh, one, one of the things that's kind of happened is uh, it's sort of ruined casual dating for me simply because there there's a certain level of connection or depth that I'm always hoping to achieve um, you know on a first date and and it's uh, it's not always intuitive how to get there especially if I'm with someone who hasn't done a whole bunch of work so I, I guess I mean there are a couple of questions that I have one one related to that is just simply how how I can show up uh, or men in general who've been doing a lot of this work can show up and take the lead uh, when when dating and be the person who kind of gets vulnerable first or uh, goes there first and then another question more directed at you Mel uh, is simply I'm curious if you have noticed a difference uh, in your in your dating life, when you are with men who've done a lot of uh, emotional or intimacy work, um, versus men who maybe haven't. Yeah, I I think, you know, for me, I can definitely notice the difference with men who are doing work on themselves versus men who aren't. And, you know, in terms of intimate relationships, you know, I I look at people's dating profiles and there's just something and I, I, I have a hard time pinpointing what it is, but there's like little subtle things that tell you, like, is this someone who is working on themselves? Are they willing to be vulnerable? And, and when I meet up with somebody on a, like a date kind of situation, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm looking for like, how willing are they to be vulnerable and do this work? Because I've now learned that difference and I mean, I'm I'm very selfishly motivated. I do a lot of what I do in the world because I want to make it easier for me to meet people that I'm going to have good connections with. That's that's my basic motivation. <laughs> um yeah, it it makes the world of difference. And I think that w- just to go back to what you were reflecting on there Devin, like how do you be someone who carries this work forward? I think that's a place where I get really uh, stuck because it's very hard to hold space for this work in an intimate relationship. And I think that the way a lot of gender dynamics have been conditioned is that the woman in a hetero relationship is going to do that holding space and that emotional labor and all that stuff for their male partner. And I, I do a lot of holding space work in the world. Um, I don't want to do that with my partner. And, and, you know, going back to that example I had of the partner who was doing forum, who was doing men's work, you know, I think part of the the liberating experience in that relationship is that we could do that equally for each other. And we weren't the only source of that for each other, that he had a whole community of people who could also support him and hold him. And, um, and so it, it didn't, you know, the, the burden, I say burden, but like the weight of that labor did not fall on my shoulders alone. And I could absolutely freely be present with him when he needed it, but it didn't have to be all about me. And so if I was in a space where I'm like, I'm freaking out and it's my own thing. These are my own little monsters I'm dealing with. And I actually don't have capacity to talk to you or for your stuff right now. It was fine. Because we could go to other people and and get that support from them. Yeah, yeah. I I've come to a point where I won't date anyone 
that doesn't have some kind of community around them. I don't want to be their one person. Uh, I make sure that, you know, somebody has, uh, whether it's, you know, women's group, good group of friends, family, uh, something. So I'm not the only piece. Uh, I think that for me is really important. And the other piece is that uh, I, I will ask probing questions to see if they're willing to do the work. Because even if they don't have all the tools, but they're willing to do the work, they're willing to, you know, read some books, they're willing to talk about what's going on. Because like you said, I don't want to be the one holding all that space. I do it for work. I do it in men's work. I do it in a number of places in my life. And I'm willing to do a certain amount in relationship because you, you have to, to have a healthy relationship. But if I'm the only source and the person's not willing to um, look at their own stuff, then that's just not going to work for me. On top of that, I try to have as many conversations about this type of stuff and men's work um, as I can so that more people can at least have access to this information because if they're in that spot of, you know, uh, unconscious incompetence or not even aware that they're not good at this stuff, then just bringing that to awareness is the first step for them to make some steps in the right direction. Mel, I just wanted to thank you very much for uh, inviting me onto this podcast and just more generally all the amazing, inspiring work that you are doing around relationship and sexuality and gender and it just your work is a constant inspiration for me uh and this podcast is great and uh james just really nice to meet you over the podcast um hopefully at some point soon we get to actually meet each other in person thank you this is an amazing opportunity and and uh i appreciate both of you showing up the way you do in this thank you both so much this has been great The Masculinity Podcast is made possible by the support of people like you. Please visit my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash masculinity, M-A-S-C-U-L-I-N-I-T-E-A. Your support means the world to me. And all people who support this podcast get to join our exclusive Facebook group where the conversation continues. Join us next time for more conversations about men, masculinity, and our relationships to them. In the meantime, if you have ideas, questions, or things you'd like me to talk about, give me a shout. Melina at RadicalRelationshipCoaching.ca